Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of John. My name is Jonathan Chan. So glad that you can join me today as we continue our series in the Gospel of John. Today we'll be embarking on John chapter 19. That's right. John chapter 19, which means we only have two more chapters to go. Today, before we begin, let's start off with a video clip and we'll be right back. Looks like you need a ride, huh? How the hell did Miranda take at the inside track on the Wayne board? I mean, she'd been meeting with him, she'd been sleeping well, with him. Well, do we know, Art? Uh, clearly, you don't know much of anything, do you? Where's Bang? Oh, he told him it was urgent. Oh, where is that man? Speak of the devil, and he shall appear. What the hell is going on? No plan is proceeding as expected. Oh, really? Do I look like I'm running Wayne Enterprises right now? You're hit! On the stock exchange, it didn't work, my friend. And now you have my construction crews going around the city at 24 hours a day. How exactly is that supposed to help my company absorb Wayne's? Believers. No, you stay here. I'm in charge. Do you feel in charge? This gives you power over me? What is this? Your money and infrastructure have been important. Till now. What are you? I've gotten reckoning. Here to end the borrowed time you've all been living on. Pure evil. I'm necessary evil. in charge I can't really do the uh, Bane impression but anyway for the past two years COVID really made us feel not in charge agree this virus it couldn't be controlled and it still can't be controlled it mutates it spreads and it seems to go wherever it wants it doesn't matter if you were young in age healthy old in age, or immunocompromised, or not. It decides how hard it will hit you. It'll decide how hard it will give you symptoms, whether it be mild or harsh symptoms, and it will decide whether to kill you. Governments were brought to its knees with COVID. Scientists were baffled and still trying to catch up with COVID. They keep on naming different variants with BA1, BA2, BA3, and then they just... Basically, ran out, of the, ran out of the letters in the Greek alphabet. Humanity was, and still is, not in charge when it comes to COVID. What were the general feelings, though, during these past two years? Well, there was anger, there was fear, frustration, confusion, and, of course, hopelessness. I still remember an event that I did a few weeks ago. One of the uh, media people said that the one thing that humanity desires and continues to Google is a phrase or just a glimmer of hope. Like COVID, when something or someone can determine whether you live or die, let's face it, we are not in charge of our lives. Death 
is the common denominator in all of us. And anyone or anything who has control of the death button in our lives pretty much is in charge. We're not in charge because we can't control death. However, like the folks we will be exploring today in this chapter, they want to be in charge as well. Yet John reveals to his readers and to us that really they weren't because they too feared death. They couldn't control death. They couldn't control the fear of losing their lives. The only person who was in control of death was the one on the cross, Jesus. Let's begin. John chapter 19, verse 1 to 8. Verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him for yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. Who do you think was in charge here in the passage we just read? Well, at first read, of course, it seems to be Pilate because he was calling the shots and had Jesus flogged, right? He took Jesus in and out of the courts and clearly thought he was the one who was in charge in deciding the verdict and the destiny of Jesus. The soldiers also thought they were in charge when Pilate gave Jesus to them, right? They thought they were in charge, so they mocked, humiliated, and struck Jesus. But in the end of this passage, we read that once the Jews said Jesus made himself the son of God, Pilate was even more afraid. Afraid of what? Why is he afraid? Well, apparently, according to Carson's commentary, for Greek Romans, they're superstitious, very superstitious. And anyone who claims to be the son of God meant that this person who's the son of God has divine powers, even powers to control death. So for Pilate, he just had a man with divine powers flogged and is now afraid of what might happen to him. Think about it. He's afraid of Jesus now. But wait, is he really from, is he really the son of God? Pilate is wondering, is he truly the son of God? So Pilate is afraid, really afraid. Oh, how the tables have turned, right? Pilate thought that he was in charge and now he's not. Pilate is now afraid and brings Jesus back into his courts to double check who Jesus really is. Is Jesus indeed a son of God with divine powers who could wallop Pilate? Because if you refer to the previous other gospels, Pilate's wife thought so. Pilate's wife thought, told Pilate and text him saying, don't touch Jesus. So Pilate is confused, but not only confused, he's afraid and not just afraid. He's not in charge. Let's move on. Verse nine. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? In other words, are you 
the Son of God? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus tells Pilate, Pilate, you're not in charge. The only reason why I'm here, where I am standing, and you're standing over there is because God made it so. You wouldn't be here judging me if it weren't for the Jews and Caiaphas who handed me over to you to be tried and executed. Basically, Pilate, Jesus is telling him, you think you're in charge? Think again. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Okay, so they went from son of God to king. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabatha. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. So remember, we are still in the Passover mood here. We're still in the Passover feast. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. Now it gets even more interesting. We now know that Pilate is not having a good day, right? He's clearly not in charge of the situation. He's wondering whether Jesus is a son of God, and now the crowd is claiming that Jesus is a king. Rather, it seems now that the crowd of angry, highly triggered religious folks are now in charge instead of Pilate. But are they really in charge? Look at what the chief priests say. We have no king but Caesar. Wait, what? What just happened? Didn't these religious leaders hate the Romans, especially Caesar? Recall the history of revolts, revolutions, the Maccabees, the Feast of Dedication, which they celebrated that commemorated their hatred towards the Romans. Why are they now throwing in this card by saying their king is Caesar? Shouldn't their king be Yahweh himself, God himself? Shouldn't their true king be Yahweh? Shouldn't Yahweh be the one who is in charge of them? But instead, throughout our journey in John, these Jews loved the political power they were given by Rome. They were wealthy. They enjoyed the prestige and privileges. Remember how they didn't like to pay taxes to Caesar and question Jesus or just, you know, try to trick Jesus and uh, saying that they didn't want to pay taxes. Yet taxes, if you explored that passage, only apply to those who were wealthy and had Roman currency. People with Roman currency, those folks wouldn't have Roman currency if they were not favored by Caesar. They had Roman currency in their possession. These Jews had Roman currency, which means they're not in charge either. They, John is telling us, are enslaved by the privileges given by Rome. Their true king, their own king, is Caesar, really. And so, in their anger, emotions, and triggered frustrations, or whatever jealousy they had towards Jesus, basically, 
What was kept secret down deep down in their hearts was now revealed to the public and to John's readers and to us. What the deep down secret they had was that it's not Yahweh who is their true king. It's really Caesar. Which means they're telling everyone, including us, that Jesus was right. They're not the true shepherds of Israel. They're not in charge. In fact, they're the corrupt shepherds that prophets talked about in the Old Testament that God is here to judge. They are not in charge. They are not in charge of their lives. In fact, for them, Caesar is in charge of their lives, not God and not them. Jesus was right. So the reason why the Pharisees, the temple priests and the teachers of the law were so angry at Jesus throughout this whole gospel was because Jesus threatened their life. Jesus had control. Jesus was in charge and they didn't like it. And so they want to rip that control and authority away from Jesus, but they can't. Instead, they realize and we realize that really deep down in their hearts, who's really in charge of their lives is Caesar. Let's move on. Verse 17. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on other, either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am a king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Notice the political meandering between Pilate and the Jews, right? Pilate clearly knows that he's no longer in charge. So he wants to, so what he wrote is really a political maneuver to put the Jews in place. Because he had access to write the stuff on Jesus' cross, he took the opportunity to do it so that, you know, just to give a ribbing of onto the Jews. However, Pilate, not knowingly, he has no clue what he had, what his actions really had implications of. He's claiming a truth that has been prophesied. Jesus is the king of the Jews. And interestingly, Pilate wrote it in all the language of the world of that day. Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. In other words, not only is Jesus declared king of the Jews to the Jews, he's declared king to the world without Pilate even knowing what he just did. So really, who's in charge? Yahweh himself. Yahweh is the one in charge executing his redemption and salvation plan for the world. How do we know that Yahweh is in charge? Well, John provides us with some evidence in verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who it shall be. This was to fulfill the scriptures, which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. John notes for us that the prophetic words of a suffering king in Psalm 22 verse 18 is being fulfilled here, uh, fulfilled here, while the soldiers had no clue that they were fulfilling the prophecy. Here's the passage from Psalm 22. 
Verse 18, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. While they were dividing Jesus' clothes and casting lots on Jesus' tunic, they thought they were just doing something that they often do during executions. But for John, for his readers, and for the rest of us, all of us see that Jesus is fulfilling the suffering servant's role to save the world. Now, in verse 28 of John, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. John gives us another hint that God, Yahweh, in Jesus, is truly in charge. Knowing that all was now finished, Jesus quoted from Psalm 69, 21 to again say who is truly in charge. Verse 21 of Psalm 69, they gave me poison for food and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Now you might wonder, why is Jesus quoting Psalms? Why is Jesus quoting Psalms that were written by David, King David? Well, here's a quote from Carson's commentary. Quote, either way, John wants to make his readers understand that every part of Jesus' passion, i.e. crucifixion, was not only in the Father's plan of redemption, but a consequence of the Son's direct obedience to it. And either way, the hermeneutical assumption is that David and his experiences constitute a prophetic model, a type of great David's greater son. So who's really in charge? Not Pilate. Not the Jews, not the soldiers. The one in charge is on the cross. Let's continue. Verse 31. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Again, not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. The Passover feast was still happening during Jesus' crucifixion. And so this passage needs to be read in light of the Passover. John notes that Jesus was already dead by the evidence of the blood and water that came out after he was pierced. Why? Why would he do that? Well, he wanted to prove to us that Jesus was dead and that he indeed was in God in human form. John also notes that the soldiers decided not to break Jesus' bones, and that is to fulfill scripture. What does that mean? Well, in Carson's commentary, he says that when the Passover lamb is prepared, one of the rules is that the lamb's bones cannot be broken, as noted in Numbers 9, 12, and Exodus 12, 46. Why? Because unbroken bones represent the unbroken covenant between God and his people during Passover, when they celebrate Passover, and the unbroken community of God. So take that all in one package then with Jesus not having his bones broken. Jesus then is being the sacrificial Passover lamb to die for the world's sin, who is also the embodiment 
of the new community of God and also the embodiment of the unbroken covenant between God and humanity. See how that works? Again, with this allusion to Jesus' bones not being broken, along with Passover festival, during, along with the, the, this whole event is during pa- the fa- Passover festival, John is telling us that Jesus is the sacrificial Passover lamb to die for the world's sin. And he is also the embodiment of one, the new community of God, and two, the unbroken covenant between God and humanity. All this happened while the soldiers had no clue that their actions had more meaning than they knew. God is in charge. Next, verse 38. After these things, Joseph of, sorry, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Now, this is in broad daylight. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, now is coming by day, came bringing in a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. That's a lot. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now again, I must emphasize, these two are doing it in broad daylight, and everyone is taking notice of this. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. If God is in charge of both life and death, and he loves us so much that he gave his son Jesus for us to save us from our sins, do we need to ever feel we need to be in charge of our lives? Are we to fear of not being in charge? See, if you remember Joseph and Nicodemus, well, specifically Nicodemus because Joseph was not mentioned throughout the whole Gospel of John, but Nicodemus was. If you recall, Nicodemus went to see Jesus at night because he feared of his peers. He feared for his life. He feared that he would be excommunicated and ostracized from the synagogue. And we all know and we've learned that if you were uh, excommunicated and expelled from the synagogue, it means like your chances of being alive is next to nil since you do not have a community to support you. Joseph, clearly, John said that he too feared the Jews because he feared for his life. So today, at this moment in this passage, both Joseph and Nicodemus in this passage no longer feared their peers anymore. Why? Because John is telling us that in broad daylight, Joseph's actions of requesting Jesus' body and Nicodemus' actions of bringing out such a huge amount of myrrh and aloes they are, John is telling us, the readers, that they both now know who is truly in charge of their lives. It is no longer them. It's Yahweh himself who's embodied in Jesus. Joseph, knowing who is in charge, no longer fears excommunication from his peers and the synagogue, for he knows that God is in charge. Nicodemus no longer fears excommunication from his peers in synagogue, for he knows that God is in charge. So the question for all of us today is this. If God is in charge over your life and your death, and he loves you so much through Jesus' death on the cross, do we need to be in charge of our lives? Do we need to feel that we should be in charge of our lives? Or should we let God to be in charge 
of our lives, for he's the one who conquered death and has death under his command. If God is in charge, what do we have to fear? And if we do fear God because he has control over death, what does that really make of us, I wonder? Because if God is in charge, we believe that that's a good thing. And we place God in charge of our lives. Amen. Amen.